What's up, Reggie Wright Jr.? How you doing? Good, brother. How you been? I'm doing pretty good, man. Um, last week on Streets and Scholars, we had spoke about, FG and I spoke about this album, Two Gangster for Radio. And uh, I know you had a big part of that, so I wanted to uh, chop it up with you for about for a few minutes about, like, take me back to that time when uh, this album came out. I believe September of 2000 is the release date. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember that album, yeah. I heard y'all a little episode about that as well. Had some issues with it. Oh, okay. Well, let's start off with the issues. <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, FG misspoke, I, I guess. He said Keita Rock was real instrumental in putting that album together. Keita, was, Keita Rock was around. He was one of the homies. But he, you know, he didn't have that type of juice around the company at the time. But well, how, how did Keita Rock from, from 60s get involved in that project in the first place? Well, he was around. He was hanging around. Uh, Keita Rock was hanging around. And, you know, um, he got, me and him got real close. And um, he developed a relationship with Shug. He came around through Daz, uh, to be honest. And um, he was hanging out with Daz. And Keita Rock was a real good dude. And he was, you know, um, you know, we was creating alliances. And he had a good relationship with the Crips, you know, in and the, and the 60s. And uh, he just kept being around and being persistent. And he got up under the wing. And I had hired him over there to be working with the street team in promotion. Okay. So, yeah, that's what was up with Keita Rock. That's how he came around. So how, what was the tension like with, with guys like Keita Rock? Because the El Ray incident where uh, Jamerson from 60s, he, that happened in 96, 95? Uh, 90, uh, it was before Tupac came. So that would have been like, uh, that would have been like, um, 95, yeah. So tension must have been a little bit high with guys like Keita Rock because of that incident. How did you kind of uh, work all that out? Well, like I said, uh, you know, over time, you know, that, that issue went away. And, um, you know, we never really felt it because of uh, Corrupt and Daz did. I remember them being real scared and spooked. <laughs> but um, we didn't have no issues, to be honest. All right, so let's talk about this album. Um this is while you're the CEO of Death Row, right? At this point, I ain't never been no CEO. What, what, what would I you? I was always the CEO. I kind of just, I didn't really have a title. I didn't give myself a title. But you weren't the security guard no more at this point. I, I wasn't a security guard. <laughs> yeah, but, but I was running stuff. Everybody knew I was running stuff. I was the decision maker all over. But I had a lot of different people to pull from, from Das, from Big C Style, uh, the Realist. You know, I was Hutch, 187. Matter of fact, he was involved in the project because uh, Shug had me to reach out to him to help with some production on the production side. So, yeah, there was a bunch of people that was around. Okay, was was this sort of like the the first first project under your under your tutelage? Oh, no, hell no. No, no. No, because you, 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 you were in position by the, 97, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was in like June, July of 97. So now I had put together the uh, Tupac Until the End of Time album, helped them with the Still I Rise album, uh, the Tupac Greatest Hit album, uh, Chronic 2000. No, oh, hell no. You know, I ain't going to take credit for Michelle and the Lady of Rage album. They did that all on their own. 
<laughs> Where do you rank the two gangster for radio compilation album that you guys did? Because it has a lot of heavy hitters on it. We had a lot of people that we were trying to uh, experiment to uh, to um, to blow up to see who who blew up from that. Um, but as far as me being in, in Georgia with the DVD concept, and then that was really a uh, soundtrack to the DVD that we did two gangster for uh, for TV, and then we did the two gangster for radio. So of course that was one of my pet projects. Other than that. And Chronic 2000, because those were the two that I was completely in charge of. Um, you know, Dad's album came out under my, my watch, but, you know, I approved videos and stuff like that. But he mainly did the production side. But those two albums were the two that I was totally responsible for and running things by Shug and get permission from him to do. Um, so, of course, those two albums will always be dear to my heart. You know, then of course I also put together the Dog Pound 2002 album and the, um, <laughs> the Snoop Dogg Dead Man Walking album. Uh, <laughs> but those, you know, so those was four albums. But you know, I'm gonna always take credit for until the end of time and and the Tupac Greatest Hit album because I know those albums wouldn't happen without my influence because Shug was a very very stubborn man during those days, especially with Interscope and. Uh, Okay, now you mentioned Daz. He, he's the producer on one of these songs. One of the questions I have about this compilation is, although you know it, it's it's West Coast influence, you have Ja Rule on this album. Yeah. The Locks are on this album. What what was yeah. the that what was the thinking back then well, about that? That's when the Rough Riders was coming into town. When we going to the Locks, and me and this dude named uh, Ja, it was two brothers that kind of ran Rough Riders. Uh, uh, D and, and Ja, they used to come to California and L.A. And we used to look out for them, if you don't know what, what I mean by that, you know, because of the relationship that the Rough Riders and we had with DMX and all of them at the time. And then, we, of course, when we went to New Jersey and, and went out there uh, later on, um, when Shug got out, they looked out for us when we came out there, you know, were giving us things. To put in our pockets so yeah um so we had a, a working relationship with rough rider they were hot at the time and so that's why we uh, messed with them uh and and, and then ja rule and then was he was hanging and was cool with them um the herb Gotti situation because they were always trying to get stuff cleared and um he was using punk songs or or beats and stuff like that and we're you know, you know we we develop a relationship like that. I even think Tretch was on a couple of the songs. I'm not for sure which one it was. Tretch and Scarface. Those were two. They used to always look out whenever I call and be like, "Shit, this send us over to ADAT, and we get our vocals on it and get it back." And so I don't know if it's the Chronic 2000 album or the Two Gangsta Radio with Tretch and um and um, Scarface got on a couple of songs for me. Now looking yeah. looking back at this album 20, that's 22 years ago, how do you feel about the the heavy dissing of uh of Dre Dre and, and a couple other dudes? There's a few tracks here where it's all about dissing and going in on people. Yeah, I'm not one to regret what things that we do. I just like speak on the truth. What I mean by that is when I talk about something, that's how we was feeling at the time. Shug, you know, it was his company. He was hating Dre. He was hating Snoop. He was doing that. Now things that may have changed, 
things may have been wrong or, you know, you sh- we should have been more adults than anything. But that's how we felt at the time. So that's what the, the songs that, um, how artists were able to get me and get Shug to approve being on the album by doing songs, you know, like it's easy to be a soldier when it ain't no war, you know, with my boy Swoop G and Lil C Style and, and the Rillas. They knew they sued stuff like that. You know, the Rillas knew. He say something called F. Dre and all of that, or or, or Hollywood, and you know, which was on two, on Chronic 2000, you know, talking about all the gay people and all of that stuff, telling about people in, you know, from Hollywood, that uh, that shit was that's how shit was feeling, sitting in, sitting in that cell, um, and that's how they were able to get uh, positionings on the albums. Now you got so, two, yeah, that's what that's... there. There's two Tupac tracks on this song. But they're obviously yeah. uh, from '96. Uh, how many Correct. how many songs of Tupac did you have to choose from that he already recorded that had never been released? Well, I pretty much always said that they all going or used up. It might be a little bit here and there, but those were two. It was uh, I know uh, Thug Nature. I think it was um, uh, and Friends. Uh, who been there? Oh, was it Friends? Friends and Thug Nature. Okay. That was on uh, on that album, so that was of course put there to try to push push the album. So when people always say uh, y'all had problems with Afeni and she was mad and stuff like that, she wouldn't allow us to put those songs on those compilations if if we had issues with them. She didn't charge us anything for those songs or anything, you know, to, for her for us being put on those. I also did two songs on Chronic uh, 2000. Um, that that was Tupac song, so they were also put on on the soundtracks um, or the uh, compilations, but they were mainly put there to uh, to be honest to help the sales of the albums or to get some type of notor notor um, you know notability or being notarized or people talking about it, and to help the sales uh, with the uh, retailers. For the retailers to, uh, you know, to purchase the album. So, what exactly did you have to deal with Afani for? Because in in two thousand, all of Tupac's songs were still under death row ownership, right? Correct. But what we had to deal with them for because we made an agreement with them that all of the songs that came out would be put up under Amaru and Death Row, uh, like a joint uh, venture type album. And then at the end of a 10-year period, the albums was going to, the songs was going to revert back to her that hadn't been distributed prior to that, that wasn't on All Eyes on Me or Machiavelli. All of those songs that was put out post those two albums, that she would uh, be able to get back ownership after 10 years. And we could only purchase for one dollar, I think it was, um, an an album worth of um, songs that we would own as our master's recordings. Now, the only reason why I resurrected this album from the dust is because I was trying to figure out what is still in the catalog for Snoop, if and if and when he ever does get to own the 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 music rights. And this is actually currently in Death Row's catalog. Is that correct? That's correct. That's a catalog item that has never really... Amazon, you can buy it on Amazon, but I never find these songs for streaming. 
streaming pur purposes and stuff, which I understand Snoop pulled down, which I think is a good marketing tool on his part, where you just take everything off the internet, make people want want these, these songs again, and then put a big push out on these particular songs and see what sells. He probably wouldn't want to put those songs out, but the public should demand that he put those albums out. Prior to me going to jail, the thing that's crazy about this, me and I had went and met with uh, E1, and they were in the process of telling me to um, tell them the list of songs that wasn't online being streaming, and they were going to do a deal with me to do it. And so once he put it out, and um, I started back up that conversation with them, and they said, well, let's see what happens. And then whatever songs that don't come out, they're going to um, license. They're not going to give them to me, but they're going to license them to me. And then we'll see what we put out. But it's not, the deal is not like everybody think where it's a straight up ownership. It's really a compensation thing where everybody involved is going to make some money. Um, you know what I mean by that is Snoop going to make money for doing his services and being in charge of it. Uh, that, that company, uh, MNRK or MNK or whatever the name of that company is, they're going to still, you know, generate and make money off of it. And people always saying, Reggie hating, and he's mad and he's turning over in his grave. Well, y'all go do some researches on some names, even on this particular album. Who y'all think is Myron? Y'all ain't never heard no producer called Myron. Y'all ain't never heard no producer called 99. These are all producers that signed the Simon Said Music Publishing. Who is who? Look it up. State of California Secretary of State. Look and see who owns Simon Said Music Production. Simon Says Films. Y'all be real, 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 real shocked to learn who. Like Easy say, the success of Dre is a payday for Easy E, right? Right? Isn't it Easy E? Well, no, that's what he said about Dre back on. Oh some yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff. But I'm just trying to say, Simon Says Music Publishing, Simon Says Films, is Reggie Wright Jr. And so the more success that Death Row have on Suge, on Snoop, make off of this stuff, it's just a big check sitting waiting for Reggie Wright Jr. Oh, well, that's amazing if you was able to parlay that before you uh, ended up. Leaving there, uh, so so oh, that was that was done. Everybody know that was done back in '99. So so the, what you're saying is that even though Snoop Dogg has some sort of ownership, it's still under the umbrella of MNRK. Correct. Okay. It's, it's, they they're a hedge fund. They're not into doing music. They just all about bringing their their investors a number or the number that they they projected for that quarter. And so as long as Snoop was performing on something that's kind of been dead, he's going to be a hero over there in that company. That's a little small. Death Row catalog is a little small piece, but it's projecting. It's bringing numbers to that, that projection that the investor, when he put up the money to buy that for his, uh, his clients, he's going to uh, have to perform. We know how Ponzi's and, and, um, Hedge funds work. It's all about get bring us a number. We don't care about no notoriety and being the 
the CEO of Death Row Records or the, the person. We just want that that quarterly gold, man. If not, I get fired as a CEO, even if I'm the owner of the company. They will replace you, but the board will replace you. Okay, now let me add, um, before we wrap this up, I'm curious about how all these artists appear on this compilation that are probably signed to other labels. How does that work to be on a Death Row Records compilation <laughs> and someone like Ja Rule or The Locks, they were never signed to Death Row? No, but they just allow it, you know. Um, you know, the, we like I said, that's what the D and Big Y relationship come that was on uh, Rough Rider and, and Irv Gotti, and you know, that was where all the relationships came in. And they allowed us, allowed them to appear on our, our albums. You know, it, I don't remember paying any fee. It was all about, um, you know, just relationships and where they just gave it to us and said, oh, here, I can put this song on it. I think at the time it was one of those, uh, Jadakus was doing a solo album. And I think the trade off for that was, um, Shug was supposed to be at the beginning of Jadakus solo album. It was supposed to be people like congratulating him at the beginning, talking about how, you know, pumping him or pumping up the album. And I think I was supposed to get some recording or got a recording to them where at the beginning of Jadis, Jadakus album, where, uh, Shug was going to be uh, congratulating him for you know his 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 upcoming single album coming out and all of that, and I don't know if it ever happened or if it ever came out, but that was that was the deal with Rough Riders. But like I said, big big Y and D were we I probably talked to them at least once or twice a month uh, the whole time when Rough Riders was on top of the game. All right, lastly, other than this album, Two Gangsters for Radio, what else is still left in the Death Row catalog? Because there's no Dre in there, there's no Pac. What is still there? Unfinished albums? No, the um, in terms of... I mean, unfinished music, you no, mean? No, no, finished music. What, what's what's still left of value music? in the Death Row catalog? Not shit. <laughs> Not even for the old ones. Not uh, even for the older people. Dre, Snoop, and Ice Cube got a, a song out right now. Most of the people in the con comment section right now, without going to Google, which we all know we can do it, can't even tell us the name right quick of that album that's out or that song that's out. Wait, but aren't both of Snoop's albums still part of the catalog? Doggy Style and um, the the Dog Father. Yeah, you said you asked me about unrecorded music. I mean, un un unput out music. No, I'm talking about. No, uh, I'm talking about from the past. From from the past oh, okay. music. What's still left? Oh yeah, in... with Doggy Style. Yeah, yeah, Doggy Style. He doesn't have the chronic. Dre Dre attorney jumped on y'all real quick, and everybody was like, uh huh." And <laughs> Dre got this. His own master recordings and his own streaming rights. That ain't a part of that deal. Only thing I'm not sure about, only thing I'm not sure about, because prior to this deal with Snoop happening, I knew that the streaming rights of Machiavelli and All Eyes on Me was about to revert back to, to the estate. I don't know if the master recordings is going to revert to the estate or stay with E1 under the M M NRK or whatever the company name banner, or if they're going to allow Snoop to control it. It's the only thing I don't know about. Okay. Uh, but I know the streaming rights 
and the streaming rights to the chronic were going back to to the estate and to Dr. Dre. And uh, lastly, d- d- briefly talk about the cover of Two Gangster for Radio. It's got three sexy ladies and some dude that looks like he's being beat up. Yeah. That's Julio G <laughs> from 92.3, the radio station. That was the whole thing where, you know, the whole this this you know the whole thing on or the concept on that album cover was some fine chicks got into the studio because everybody don't remember what was going down in LA during that time. Niggas was getting women was sicking niggas was sicking women onto to artists and individuals. Not none of the women and, I knew. <laughs> and then they come and and then somebody will come and um take over you, rob you, tie you up and rob you. And um take over and so our concept was julio g was working at 92.3 the beat and the females got in there tied him up and they took over the radio station and was playing the stuff that on the radio that radios wouldn't play and they it was too gangster for radio but we had to have the females come and take over the radio airs that was the whole concept behind that album cover all right, Reggie Wright Jr., I could talk to you for a whole nother hour about this album alone, but uh, we'll leave it there for now. I appreciate you tapping in on Streets and Scholars. and uh, Oh, now, Alonzo, you know I can't, can't come on this air and not talk to you. Okay, go ahead. What's on your mind? You better. You owe James McDonald apology for getting involved in him and FGB. Oh. That was personal beef between them. I gotta say it. Well, I just I did the interview. I just did the interview with FG. So, are you saying I shouldn't? I, I should not have interviewed him. But keeping it going, keeping it going. I think you, I think you kept your foot on the gas a little bit too long. But that's my boy. You my boy, and that's always gonna be. And um, I got something. We'll do an interview one day. But I think you might be right about my relationship with my boy Norman Steele. He did something to me this week that I'm not really happy about. But we'll talk about that another day. Well, I'm not I'm not surprised about that. But in terms of keeping well, keeping, might owe you. I might owe you an apology. Okay, well I appreciate that. But in terms of me keeping the the my foot on the pedal regarding the whole FG situation is that every time those guys responded and retorted, they were suggesting that FG was a liar. And that he was I making never heard it James all. Say that, you know. Yeah, James. Never really heard James, say that. James said that in the interview he did with uh, Rel from Detroit in so many ways, and he also did it in he the. He was inter- on the gas before that. That's what made him have to go and respond to that. You were on the gas before that. Well, I don't know. I have to check the timeline on that. But when, <laughs> when anyone suggests that an interview I'm doing with a dude is completely a lie, I have to respond. I gotta, you know. Got you. Okay. But um, all right, Reggie, we're, we're going to talk again real soon. I appreciate. I know you're you. very, uh, very um integrity with being journalist and i hope it comes across that i have no dislike or anything towards fg i think he's a solid brother he was a little younger than than my era um but i don't i never heard no no smirk on fg and there's no and there's no way i would have did an interview with him and let him speak all that if i didn't find it credible at all you know i I found it a hundred percent credible and he came with receipts, and uh, I, I just gave him a platform. If it wasn't going to be me, it would eventually would have been somebody else. So, you know, I did it, and uh, I stand by it. Respect, Alex. <laughs> All right, Reg, I'll holler back. Peace. This is episode six of Streets and Scholars. 
Uh, we just, I just hollered at Reggie Wright Jr. regarding the two gangster for, for radio, and he gave us a lot of uh, insight of what was going on 22 years ago. And um, he just had a, a, one issue with what you said about it was that um, he said Keita Rock didn't really have no, no influence or impact on the album. Yeah, no, that was good information because you know how it is when people are telling you about it, you know what I mean? So I wasn't actually there with Key to Rock, you know what I mean? But, the, you know, by the time it got to me, you know what I mean? That, that was the information I got. But Reggie, of course, was there, and, you know, he know exactly how it went. So I'm glad he cleared that up even for me, so, you know. He also cleared up uh, the dude on the cover. For some reason, I guess you had thought it was who? Um, somebody had told me it was Mac Ten. Yeah, Mac Ten, but he yeah. said his Julio G from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I got a lot of misinformation <laughs> on that album. Hey, it happens, you know, and that's what we hear on Streets and Scholars. We correct our, our, our mistakes, and then we go to the source to get the right information. And um, yeah, they, they was definitely um, hating on Dre, and I guess that was coming from Suge. Suge was hating, and they just followed suit. No doubt, but now when he put something in perspective about when he was saying, the artist was saying, um, you know, fuck Hollywood, and I remember those songs, I think that was, I think he said that was on Dre album, but um, when they don't understand that hindsight, you know, you look around and you see who's giving the opportunities out now, it's basically people that you dissing, you know what I mean, Dre and Snoop are in some great positions to, you know, you'll never get a shot. You know what I mean? Or Hollywood may never give you a shot just based on some of the shit that come out your mouth, you know? So not telling nobody to be mindful or nothing like that, but I'm sure it's a lot of artists that done said some things and they came back to um, bid them where they were, weren't able to get in position that they want to for something that they said in their music, you know what I mean? No doubt, no doubt. Uh, I mean, this to me, the, the album is still kind of fascinating because of the names on the album. All the artists on the album. I mean, he got two Tupac tracks on there. Apparently, there's these thoughts and ideas that Tupac recorded hundreds of songs, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but apparently there's not a whole lot of Tupac songs that are are unreleased. Yeah, I thought it was a million of them out there somewhere. <laughs> you know, shit, there's so many of them coming out, but you got to think about how many actually came out, you know, after he passed. You know, and this song still came out within the last year or two or three. From all over the the country, with you know, people on the album, you know, he on the album with people. So it was a bunch of songs, but over all these years, I'm sure by now they might have been used. Yeah, I don't think there's anything left, uh, any unheard or unreleased Tupac songs. I think we've heard it all. I mean, it, I, I would love someone to say, yeah, I, I, we got a few songs here or there, but I, I don't I think... I think Suge got something put up somewhere. Hey, man. maybe, I, huh? You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I think Suge got a lot of shit put up somewhere as far as that music is hey, concerned. Hey, if Suge has some Pac songs somewhere, Reggie Wright would know. Because Reggie said there's no way that Suge could have done something like that without him knowing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think Suge could have could do some stuff without yeah, you yeah, knowing. Yeah, yeah. But Reggie claims that they're so tight that if he got 10, 15 songs of Pac, he knows where they're at, you know, so mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, any last thoughts on the Two Gangster for Radio compilation from 2000? Nah, nah. All right. Um, lastly, before uh, before <laughs> before Reggie got off the phone, he had to pick a bone with me for, um, I didn't even understand it, for doing the interview with you? What was oh, that? Oh, yeah. No, nah, I mean, he stated what, what other people had said, yeah. you know what I mean? I'm not saying it's facts. I'm just saying he... 
you know, people have their opinion, and there was a few people that I heard say that. So I don't think you did. You know, I think you did a great job on the interview. I came in, you allowed me to say what I wanted to say, and you know. Yeah, I would have. I would have just left it alone at that. But it just seems like every time there was a response, or there was a quote unquote interview, the the theme of their interviews were that the paperwork was faulty. Right. Or without directly saying this, right, of course. Right, right, right. But the paperwork is faulty and that your story is not true. Exactly. And But what, what really killed me is there was one video where, where Mob James was speaking and he says, I ain't going to speak bad about FG. I ain't going to speak down on FG. And I'm saying to myself, if somebody accuses me of being a rat and I'm not a rat, I'm going to speak down on that person. Well, you know, right. <laughs> no, I, I got you, but maybe he felt that you had an angle. Maybe he felt it was, you know, something more than just me coming up. You know what I mean? Maybe if I uh, did it with another journalist or somebody else, um, he wouldn't have felt the same way. But you know, but at the same time, I do believe that he felt, you know, it was it was personal, a little personal. Well, a lot of people think that that um, Mob James and myself were like super close or super tight because we did the podcast for a year. And we really weren't that close. We we spoke on the phone sometimes outside of the podcast. I didn't see him out anywhere. Um, he ain't never been to my studio. He ain't never been to my place. Um, I did know him prior to the podcast. Mm-hmm. I actually did go to his mom's funeral. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, we we never hung out. So people got this perception that him and I was tight. Oh, okay. Because I, I I heard y'all had vacation together a couple of times. Never. <laughs> I <I'm> just no. <laughs> nah, nah, we wasn't tight at all. Um, <laughs> and even throughout the podcast yeah. relationship, I spoke more to Reggie. You know, yeah. Reggie would call me up. I would call him up. You know, him and I kind of vibed a lot on the phone. Uh, talked to James a few times. So for all those people out there that think like this guy was like my best friend yeah. and then I well, turned I mean, around. He was a co-worker. So yeah. you know, you guys worked together. It was what it was, man. You know, and you moving on and just like everybody else. You know, so hey, you know how it go. Yeah. So uh, I don't know what, what Reggie means. I put the 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 foot on the gas pedal. But <laughs> hey, uh, and then lastly, we'll move on from this topic. But lastly, you know, there were two videos that they did that, that really kind of rubbed me the wrong way because the undercurrent theme of it is that our interview was faulty, and that's the one he did with some dude from Detroit named right, right, Rel. Right. That whole interview was yeah, a, I didn't lies. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was, I was felt some kind of way about that as well. You know, now I, I, I didn't blame Rel so much because I don't know the guy, and it's, I, I know he doesn't know me. But he, he spoke on me. He mentioned my name, and he, you know, tried to make it seem like I was discreditable. You know what I mean? So yeah, I. I, I Feel you on that that Zach uh, situation. And then the other one uh, was an interview he did with a dude from Sacramento named Seti Nash, where Seti Nash basically just just let him speak and not question the facts. Right, right, right. He gave him a free pass to to pretty much discredit the interview and right. discredit you know him being an informant. But come on, y'all. Shoot, it's it's pissing me off. All right, all right, we're gonna move on to uh, a couple of other topics now. We're gonna talk about this Cain Velasquez case because this is a incredible, amazing case. Mm. And for those who don't know, go back and listen to episode five. We we talked about it briefly on episode four, but Cain Velasquez, who is charged with shooting the alleged chomo of his four year old son is still in jail. 
Yeah, no doubt. There was rumors running around that he had got bailed, and I, I was I, actually I was happy for it. You know, I thought he was out, but uh, apparently right now they still got him locked up. Where somewhere in Santa Clara, somewhere. Yeah, he's in the Santa Clara County Jail. He is denied bail, but he had, his next court date is on April twelfth. So I believe that he will get bail because everyone is entitled to bail. I mean, I'm sure they're pushing for it. You know what I mean? No doubt. Yeah, I'm just surprised that he, you know how sometimes as soon as you get arrested, the judge at arraignment, you get your bail. Right, no doubt. But for whatever reason, they decided no bail on Cain Velasquez and they're making him wait till April maybe. Yeah. I'm probably trying to see um, how how he responds and how he acts up until then. You know, what his uh, disposition is. Probably listen to his phone calls. See if uh, he in a state of mind where he's saying, I'm going to go after him again. Or, look, I know I messed up. You know, I really need to be home with my family. You know, it all depends probably on his, his, his attitude and his response towards the situation. You know, if he have any, you know, um, I can't say remorse because I don't expect him to have any. But maybe if he just have an understanding that I did wrong, you know what I mean, um, they, might, they might take that into consideration. Now, the, the handful of times that I've been arrested, uh, I was given bail every single time except once, and then I got, and then I, um, got bail immediately after. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your experience with bail? Have you, do you usually get your bail right away and try to take advantage of that? Normally, I did, you know what I mean? And like I said, I kind of got a little too cocky with it, you know what I mean, by mentioning it to the came at 12 hours, man. Oh, you, you know, that was you my talking thing, about 12 that, fed, hours, that yeah. fed case, huh? Well, no, even in the state, I get at them to get at them, look sheriffs in the eye, 12 hours, man. You know, I'll be right back out here, you know. And um, when I went to the feds, to be, it's crazy you mentioned that because my attorney and the U.S. attorney had agreed to give me a bond, a $300,000 equity bond. So uh, my wife, my mother-in-law, my wife, you know, they came with the deeds and everything, and they had already, because my lawyer said, listen, we're not going to go to court if they don't agree to give you a bond. It's useless, you know. She agreed to give me one. Carol Peterson, U.S. attorney at the time, agreed to give me a bond, 300000 equity. We came with the, we came with extra, you know, and, uh, but the feds came to the bill here. And uh, when had a sidebar with the judge, and uh, the judge said he's not a flight risk, I believe he'll be a court every single time, on time. I'm concerned about what he's going to be doing in between those court dates. And they came in and shut it down. Whatever they told that judge, they had already agreed to give me one. They shut it down right then. So initially you was given a $300,000 bail? Yep. And then they, they took it back? They took it back when the feds came to the hearing. You know, okay. they actually showed up. So they went, like I say, talked to the judge, and they swayed her to, um, you, know, you know, don't let me get it, you know. And did they actually speak in open court saying, we, we think that FG should not get bail because of, X, Y, Z. No, but when she said, I'm, I'm concerned about what you're going to be doing between the court dates, she pretty much told me that they probably thought that I would go hunting for somebody or looking for somebody to, okay. you know. So at the time, at this time, at this bail hearing, you had already figured out Mob James was part of your case. No doubt. You spoke to Drew about everything. Oh, yeah, no doubt, because this this, this a couple months later. Okay, it's a couple months later. Okay, so your whole, everything's unraveling for you, and you're figuring it all out. Right, right, right. Okay, so So, I can understand. Okay, they're they're basically, in in my opinion, they're basically like, okay, he knows who informed on him. If we give him a bail, this this can go bad for everybody. This can go bad. For every- <laughs> I already knew what they said. As soon as as soon as they said it, and uh, and at that time you was probably on one, right? Uh, you know what the thing about it is like, and, and, and um, 
My wife say this all the time. She says, oh, most probably good that you did. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you're not thinking, man. All you're thinking is, I can't believe this, you know. But um, what the U.S. attorney did jump up and say, because I was a homeowner at the time myself, I had, you know, a couple hundred thousand, a few hundred thousand worth of equity myself. And she did jump up there and say, you know, it's funny that his mother-in-law bring her deeds and his fiance at the time bring her deeds, but... Nobody brought his. <laughs> I said, well, they be working, man. They be- what, what is the issue about that? Well, you know, I just figured that they wouldn't let me bring my own because I'm the, you know what I mean? So they may, I looked at it as um, they may say no based on, I wouldn't mind jeopardizing my property. You know what I mean? So, you know, like I say, uh, I had others bring it, my wife and my mother-in-law. Yeah, but she did jump up and say that, you know. We kind of laughed a little later about that, you know, because they be working. They know everything about you, man. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know uh, I didn't know you were almost got out on, on bail for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but bail is important because, especially if you're going to fight your case, because it's better to meet with your attorney outside of a confined environment, no to go to their office, to strategize, not do it over these jail phones. Exactly. Um, did you try to tell the judge, hey, I'm not even tripping on this dude. I just want to fight my case. You know what? I didn't because I, this was my longtime attorney. So we had an understanding that uh, of things, you know. And if he didn't press, you know, it, it, I didn't follow the press, you know. Um, in other situations where he said, no, nah, I'm going to put you up on the stand for yourself, you know. I don't, he didn't like putting people on the stand, up on his, his clients up on the stand, but evidently he knew it, you know, in, in certain situations I can can handle it, you know. So he didn't push he didn't push no further. I left it alone and just but I really thought I was finna get get out. That was the whole thing about okay, they gave me a bond, I'm finna go home. I can really get my I did have things to get in order, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh and uh but it got shut down, yeah. So you're talking about um your attorney Frank DiGiacomo, right? No doubt, yeah. Okay. And who's resting in peace? He actually passed, I believe, two thousand seven, kind of right during Not your too case, long. right? Yeah, yeah. It was a little while after the case. He had got sick during the case, but then he finally some uh, um, uh, passed away, like maybe a year or two later. Yeah. Okay, uh, man. Th- this whole bail situation is really interesting because um, there's been counties across the country that have been deciding. To, to be think more progressive mm-hmm. and get rid of bail, right? You know, have you heard about this? No, like, you know what? I thought they were doing it in January, and what they were saying was that they weren't getting rid of it. What they were going to do was, um, you had to go see the judge first, and then the judge had to okay the bail. So that was going to at least put you in jail three to seven days before you see a judge in order for you to get a bail. And uh, it didn't, it didn't go through. It didn't pass. It didn't. Or I ain't gonna say it didn't pass. Is they didn't put it into effect. You oh, know. Okay, I thought it, I thought it was gonna go into effect, but I haven't really been um, keeping up with it. Um, so I think that Cain Velasquez will get a bail uh, when he goes to court on April twelfth because we, it's part of the Constitution. Um, we're all entitled to bail, except uh, in crazy cases. Right, right, you know? right. I don't think Charles Manson was ever gonna get a bail. No doubt, no doubt. Um, you know, um, serial killers don't get a bail, but you can get a bail for a, a double homicide. Well, you know, it'll be surprised at how they do and how they don't. Well, you know, O.J. Simpson didn't get bail back in the day. Right, right, right. That's what I say. But it all, but that was a high profile. Yeah, that was a big. Case, but he, he's but. not a flight risk, though. Uh, no, but he's at a celebrity the same time, double double murder. You know. Yeah, but um, the whole thing is about being a flight risk and and having an opportunity to fight your case. Yeah, you know. But yeah, he should get a bail. His bail probably should be somewhere. Um, ooh, they're gonna they're gonna hit him with that that shooting. 
uh, should be somewhere around a hundred thousand, let or or less than that. Um, why was how did they figure three hundred thousand dollars for your bail? What was that determined? You by? know what? I don't know. I, I don't know if they thought it was a number because it was an equity bond. You had to bring equity, and um, I don't know if it was a standard number that they had. I don't know if it was a number that they thought I couldn't produce. I don't know what. How did they get to that number? But that was the number that was great. I don't know if my uh, attorney uh, negotiated. Like maybe they said four or five, and they said, "Well, no, how about three? I'm not. I'm not 100 percent sure on that. Because that's kind of high, though. Three hundred thousand just for a little dope case. I mean, I right? thought it was. But that was. It was ridiculous. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. Um, hey, we were talking about the um, January 6th Capitol riot mm-hmm. that happened uh, at the in the at the Capitol building last year. And what was that? No, it's going on. Yeah, a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about a lady that got killed. Uh, her name was Ashley Babbitt. Okay. She was 35 years old, and she was a 14-year veteran of the Air Force. Damn. And she got killed by a Capitol Police, and she was actually trying to climb into the building or go through the window at the time. Mm. And what I'm tripping on is that you're a a veteran. You're a soldier. Mm -hmm. You're someone that's supposed to be respecting America and everything that America represents. But at the same time, you're a part of this capital thing, this capital attack. I just find it crazy that people, soldiers, and there were police officers, mm-hmm. soldiers, police officers were part of this chaos. See, I had it twisted. I thought she was on the inside with them and got shot. No, nah, she was one of the, the rioters. I, oh, I, bro, I didn't know that. She was one of the rioters. Yeah, yeah, In yeah. fact, they did a whole thing on her. She was part of um, this conspiracy group called QAnon. Which are a bunch of crazy right wing Trump followers. Right, right, right. Um, but she's 14 years in the in the military, and she was a part of this whole crazy riot. And it turns out there was a lot of people, a lot of soldiers, a lot of, soldiers, a lot of cops. Police. Yeah, America, bro. Piece <laughs> of America that was trying to do that. Yeah, but uh, we didn't mention her name. Uh, yeah, when I we thought spoke she was that. on the inside and got popped. Well, nah, yeah. she 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 was one that uh, I, I looked up a lot of articles, and a lot of them say that she des- she deserved it. Right, right, right. Um, it was a justifiable shooting. She was going through the window, yeah. and she was part of the chaos, and yeah. she got killed. She's the um, the main person that got killed. Uh, before I go on to the next one, everything good back here? All right. No, you don't got to even. That one's good. Um, so, so we we brought her up because we were talking about Guy Reffitt, <laughs> and uh, his sentencing will be on June eighth. Yeah, I'm waiting on that. Yeah, I so we we gonna we gonna pay attention because you still F, got the numbers rolled down. Or F, you, <laughs> you said he's gonna get 15 years. Yeah. And I said he's going to get 9.5 years. And for those who don't know what we're talking about, you got to go back to episode five. And we went into depth about Guy Reffitt. This is the dude. This is the white guy that decided he wanted to take it to trial. Yeah. Which is usually, I, I heard that when, when you got a Fed case, it's usually not a good idea. Not a good idea at all. Unless you want that extra time. But let me let me be clear. People do go to uh, trial so they can leave their appeal rights open. Yeah. Because when you take a plea agreement, most of the time you're giving up your appeal rights. So I do know people that say I'm gonna take it all away so I can keep my appeal rights, and um, and um, and that's the positive uh, with that. And his it's his position. I think that wasn't the case. I'm not sure, but uh, I, I think they're gonna make him pay for it though. Yeah. Well, I I hope he does pay because some of these uh. Eight, almost 800 people who've been popped for riding the Capitol building, they've all been getting sweet deals because mm-hmm. they're taking them, you know. But this guy took it to trial. But, you know, um, John Gotti used to take the feds to trial. 
But he he pissed the feds off. They didn't believe in that shit. They didn't believe in taking deals. No. Nah. You know, and they used to get bust upside their head. And I mean, some of them could have got 10. When, some of them got 30 when they could have got 10. Well, they watched John Gotti up on that last one. Yeah. They gave him life without. Right. So he was never going to come home. No, nah, he wasn't. But at the end of the day, they say he still beat him. You know, he only did 10 before he passed. <laughs> so he still got him. <laughs> That's crazy. So yeah. he, he still won, huh? He still won. Because he, he only did 10. Yeah. Hey, um, he, he did a lot of his time in Marion. And I always hear crazy stories about Marion. I know you never went to Marion, but you must have heard about what was going on in Marion. Uh, no doubt. I had some of the homies that came from Marion, you know. And you hear all the stories about him, man. That's over there in uh, Illinois, I believe. Yeah. And, uh, and it was rocking and rolling over. Over there, you know, so you know, you got a uh, different prison, different situations, and some of the names just hey, it just go down like that, man. You know, Lewisburg, Marion, you know, uh, Terra Hutt back in the day, you know, these, these, these. What about Leavenworth? Leavenworth back in the day, you know, a lot of these prisons are older now, so you know, they build a new prison, build a new stronger USPs, so Marion may not be a um, USP anymore, it could be, but you know, I know some of them like uh, Lompoc. You know, legendary USP is it's a medium now, just based on you know, it's oh, it's a hundred years old, man. Okay, now there was this one funny story when John Gotti was in Marion. You know, a brother beat him up in the bathroom, um, and he beat him up pretty good. Mm -mm. You know, touched him up good, ble yeah. bloody nose, lip, everything. So when the when the when the police came and got him, they asked John Gotti, "What happened, man?" He said, "I fell down." And that's it. Yeah, <laughs> he said, yeah, "I yeah, fell down." Yeah. <laughs> you know, he he don't he he kept the code, man. Uh, as much as we hate John Gotti, and I say we, meaning American society, mm -hmm. that's one dude that stood to the code all the way to the end. Well, you know, to be honest with you, I'm over here smirking, man, because I was actually growing up, you know, a fan, basically. You know, I didn't know all the politics on the racism side of it and those sort of things, but watching the movies, man, hearing the name, it, it was more the honor, the code that they stood by, man, that 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 I always liked about them, always watched the documentaries and the movies and, you know, and, um, and how do you feel about Sammy the Bull? That was his right hand man, but he turned state's evidence. You know what? Sammy was a cold killer, man. And you know, but once he did that, I mean, look, I walked the yard with dudes from different crime families doing 40, 50 years. You know, these dudes came in at 22, man. They, they, they 42 now. You know, and and um, and they still carry a solid, and they able to walk those yards. Yeah, they probably couldn't win a fight, but just to respect that, you know what they did and how they stepped to the code. They walked the yard just like everybody else, and 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 uh, and it's respected. You know, um, Sammy the Bull. Hey, like I say, you know, he chose to you know do what he had to do or felt he had to do. You know, but um, I I I think he should have did what the rest of them did and rolled it out and took it on the chin. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. If you live in that life, you yeah. know. You knew but what you signed up for. You knew what you signed up for. And, you, know? and you even signed up for John Gotti might turn on you. You All might that. turn on him. Yeah, That's exactly. part of the game, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what's crazy to me is that they wanted John Gotti so bad they was willing to allow him to testify and admit to 19 murders and he only got five year sentence. He only got five years. Well, that lets you know what America will do. You know, it, it lets you know that when they have a bigger objective, a bigger perspective, a bigger something they want, they ain't gonna stop at nothing to get it. I feel like the Fed the Fed should be embarrassed that they were willing to allow a guy like Sammy the Bull basically walk for being a part of 19 murders. No, no doubt. I mean, you know, but like I say, it, it shows the hand of America. You know, as far as um, 
what they will do and what they won't do, what they will allow and what they won't allow, just like they giving all these sweet deals to these capital riders, you know what I mean? They only going to make example of the one dude, I feel, one or, one or two, three people. The rest of them, like you say, you never going to hear about what kind of deal they got, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, hopefully uh, Guy Reffitt will, will get... Um you know, something that is satisfying for, for us, at least, uh, a real sentence. And he gets sentenced on June 8th, and he will definitely be going to at least um, an FCI, right? Right, but let me clear this up. You know, I don't want to sit here and say I want to see the guy get 50 years, 40 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? What I'm basically saying, because, I mean, I wouldn't give a damn if he went home as far as, you know, how the feds play it and how the, how the judicial system works. What I'm saying is I want them to be fair on how they sentence us. I got 10 years for 98.8 grams of, 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 of cocaine, you know what I mean? And and this guy can go up in the Capitol and, and raid the Capitol <laughs> and, and get seven or, you know what I mean? You know, that all I'm saying is either make it equal, you know what I mean, bring them up like they do us or bring us down like you do them. That's basically what I'm saying, you know what I mean? But I, I want to reiterate that, you know, I'm not an advocate for, you know, uh, people just getting a whole bunch of time, man, from the, from the United States government. That's just what I feel. Well, the, the way I feel about it is that I, I, I don't mind seeing a guy like Guy Refford get a whole lot of time because oftentimes I feel like the justice system is an unequal system where it punishes and oppresses people of color more so. No, you're absolutely right, and you can. I, I look at it in those areas too, but I also respect this gangster. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't gonna bullshit you. You know, I'm he like, took mm, a pistol. Yeah, he took a pistol hey, to, the, to the Capitol. Hey, and got the troops and told them, "Come on, we gonna put it on the line." And they went with them. You know what I mean? I mean, some people can't go to the hood and get six people to go to a burger stand in another neighborhood with them, opposed to this dude got a crew. 800, I mean, I ain't saying he did everything himself, but at the same time, you know. So in that aspect, you know what I mean, you know. But see, I, I, I like that he kept it gangster, but he kept it gangster over an issue that was not even true. It wasn't real. Right, right. Like this right, election right. being stolen. No, no doubt, no you know? doubt. So that, that's that's why I want to see this dude get washed up. But he, these people aren't the first ones to really try to um, to do something gangster at, at the at a at a Washington D.C or government establishment, because, you know, the Black Panthers up in Oakland, I think it was 1968 or 69, they walked into the Capitol, their Capitol building with shotguns during a, a proceedings, and at that time it was legal. Oh, shit. It was legal to, to be armed mm. and to walk into a, a government building with guns. Yeah. And then Governor Reagan changed the law um, back then. And Reagan changed everything. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I thought that was pretty gangster when the, when the Panthers went up in, um, I believe that was Sacramento, with pistols, with shotguns, which was legal at the time. But this also reminds me of a, a woman named Lolita Lebron. I think this is like 1955, 1958. Mm. She was fighting for independence of Puerto Rico because Puerto Rico is basically like a slave state to the United States. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't really talk about Puerto Rico, a little island out there in right, the Caribbean. Right, right, right. It, it's basically a slave colony to the U.S. and a lot of people fought fighting currently for independence Lolita LeBron walked into basically the same place where Guy Reffitt was at. Mm -hmm. Not only did she went in there, she started blasting. Yeah. Yeah, so she, she ended up getting, um, I think she got a life sentence, but Bill Clinton may have um, pardoned her, you know, after she had already did already like did. 40 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so Guy Reffitt ain't the first one to do this. 
But he, he, to me, he did it under an issue that wasn't real. No, no doubt. I, I don't speak on the issue because they was filed as all outdoors. You know what I mean? They did it on, I believe they did it on the whole racial uh, grounds or some, for something else. You know what I mean? You know, and, and uh, they wanted to continue to um, push what they were pushing their agenda. You know what I mean? And they took it as far as they took it. You know what I mean? That's a whole separate you know, issue when I speak, but yeah, yeah, I, I do believe that uh, the issue that they went up in there was 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 false. Yeah, and and because he had that gun, and the federal sentencing guideline that we spoke about, he should get at least five years, no right? No doubt. You know what <laughs> if, I mean? If he gets anything less than five years, I'm gonna be disappointed, man. Uh, no, I'm gonna be less. I'm gonna be disappointed if he get anything less than ten. Well, yeah, you're saying fifteen. I'm saying yeah. nine point five, and we'll find out on um, June eighth. Um, do me a favor. Can you close that window? So uh, last thing I want to talk about is um, we talked about Juicy, mm -hmm. and he got sentenced to 150 days, but he walked out of jail after six days. Hey, we were just talking about bail. <laughs> you know and, what I mean? And, and we weren't able to talk about it because it actually happened right after we did our last episode. Right, right after. Yeah, so. Well, well, the thing about it is, no, let me take that back. You know, he didn't get a bail. He got released on his own recognizance. You know, as long as he show up for court and everything... He doesn't have to pay the hundred and fifty thousand because he's appealing. Yes, so he doesn't have to put it up yet. I mean, he may have it on the line or had to show that he had it, but at the same time, he really was released on his own recognizance. Absolutely, because uh, an appellate an appellate court in Illinois ordered him to be released while he's fighting his appeal. And I don't know if we could double check that, but I thought it was six days he was out of there. Yeah, he, you're right. It was six days. Yeah, yeah. He didn't waste no time getting up out of there. No. Um, and I'm a little surprised because the, this, the, appeal, the appellate court went over the judge's decision to sentence him. But damn, that was fast. How yeah. how they even get the paperwork up there that fast? Damn. I don't know, but I I never Somebody seen. Somebody had some pool. Did you see how many lawyers Juicy had in court? I did. I did. You had like five <laughs> lawyers, and everybody was fighting for him. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I ain't never seen nobody with five lawyers yeah. except OJ. Hey man, you know? somebody somebody you know shooting him that bread over there to, to, to you know make it right for him. Now now what the lawyers are arguing, and we don't know where this stands, is that they're arguing double jeopardy. But they do have a point, you know what I mean? Like I say, until I got fully involved and, and started investigating and checking out the case, investigating the details of the case, um, yeah, he already had been sentenced to uh, probation and the uh, community service. Yep. So how you double back and um, give him another sentence or send him to, you know, another court to give him more time unless it's, I don't know, is a, a, a jurisdiction issue or... I'm not sure at all how that went down. Well, I think there was some shady stuff that happened in the initial in his initial charge. There was a prosecutor named Kim Fox, mm -hmm. which was she was friends with Jussie's people, so they basically gave him a pass mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the first time, and that that's when they gave him would they give him probation or yeah, probation community and service? Community service, yeah. It turns out that no, I'm sorry, a fine and community service. Yeah, it turns out that because all of that was done, sort of like a backdoor deal mm -hmm. and it went against the whole the Chicago PD's investigation. I don't know if that sentence was even justified. Well the thing about it if the judge knocked that gavel and gave you that ten thousand dollar fine at community service, it was justified. I do understand a lot of backdoor things happen, a lot of deals get worked and all that. I I'm you know, I understand that part. But once he hit that gavel, um that, that sentence is is in the books. I think you might be right. I think you might be right. Um, 
it's it's difficult because technically he was sentenced. He was, and from what my understanding was, say um, if another court wanted to come supersede it, the other case would have had to been dropped first. You know, I know even even I know sometimes even when the feds do that, the state to pick you, grab you for a gun case, the state gonna dismiss the case. Then the feds are gonna come charge you. He was never his case wasn't dismissed. It he he was uh, dismissed. He was he was char- You know, found guilty on that or took the deal. You know, took the deal. Well, part of his his appeal is arguing that when they brought in the special prosecutor, which is the prosecutor after um, Kim Fox, mm-hmm. that. That was not valid because now that exposes him to double jeopardy, meaning that, hey, we already got fined. We already got sentenced. Um, but I'm, not, I'm wondering, does that mean that he pled guilty? See, that's the thing. I don't know because I don't think Jussie ever said, I'm guilty. Right. And I think they're trying to find, the prosecutors are trying to find a loophole to go around it. I mean, if he pled no contest and they slapped that gavel, I mean, it, it's just as it's the same. It's a conviction for that case, you know, but just not a, a admission. <laughs> so that could it could have went that way too. So uh, I'm not 100 percent sure either. I'm you definitely have to check back into that. But he's out, bro. Yeah. So so there might be a chance that if if it is double jeopardy, he will end up getting this conviction overturned, and he could now claim innocence all he wants again. I mean, I don't think he's going back regardless, to be honest with you. I don't think even if they do wrangle up something where the conviction sticks or something like that, I don't think he's going to go back in the cell. Okay, well, I was just reading here that the original case was dismissed after he agreed to pay the fine and do the community service. So what does that mean? If it was dismissed after he um, did the fine and community service, the original case was dismissed. So I'm I'm a little confused. On, yeah, then it might too. not be double jeopardy. It, if they dismissed the case because you agreed, I'll pay a fine. I think what the defense is going to say is, hey, when Jesse agreed to pay the fine and the community service, that means this case is over. Right. But they're going to say, well, no, we dismissed the case. We didn't. We this case never came to a conclusion. We just dismissed it, and we just gave him the the fine. No doubt. And in most cases, that's dismissed. Uh, you usually have a. Um, I've had a case dismissed um, on illegal search and seizures, and but they still got one year to come refile it. Correct. So he may be in that situation where all they doing is refiling it with a different attorney, and that attorney gonna go hard. He's not gonna sweep it under the rug like that. So that's highly possible. So, yeah. So I I kind of think that. They are going to find an argument to say that because it was dismissed, the second prosecution was really the first prosecution. Well, the thing about it is, if he would have took, if it would have been better off for him to take some kind of no contest plea. Yeah, because the plea would have solidified that the, the case is done. When something is dismissed, yeah, you usually got the terms to come back and uh, refiling, and it can be. I know I was in Torrance. And I got a case dismissed, and and um, oh man, I fought hard. We fought hard. Me and Frank DeJacomo over in Torrance, man, and and the case got dismissed on a Friday. Frank called me Monday and said, "Bro, they refiled already." <laughs> <laughs> he said, "We gonna walk back up in there, you know? We gonna fight it again." And I never forget that the Torrance police had subpoenaed the Linwood and Compton sheriffs to come be a witness for them, 
about some prior arrests that they had on me from back in the day. So the second time I went to go fight it, they brought their big guns out. So I already know that they can refile it, no doubt, if it's a dismissal. Absolutely. And, it, you know, if you grew up in these streets, anytime your case is dismissed, you know in the back of your mind they might be coming back. And it might not be over. Yeah, you know? so that's what I, I'm thinking. This, that's the case with Jesse. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize that it was dismissed. I thought he took the plea of uh, maybe a no contest, maybe a... Um, because he did get paid a fine and do the community service, so I, I thought he had took a, some kind of plea. Being that it was dismissed, they may have full range to come back and recharge. That's what I think. I think the original prosecutor that did the shady deal, uh, Miss Fox, I think she probably told Jesse, look, I'm going to dismiss the case, but you got to do something. Right, right, right. To make it look exactly. like... Give us some kind yeah. of effort, yeah. So they agreed to the fine and the community service, but... I think the dismissal kept it open for them to come back. Yeah. But, of course, the, his attorneys are going to be like, no, 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 no. No, they're going to argue back yeah. and forth and come to some kind of agreement. But um, but I think at the end of the day, man, they they really going for him this time. He may just come out with that conviction even if he don't do no more jail time. Yeah. Um, and it r reminded me of the, um, the Rodney King situation back in 92. Um, the four cops mm -hmm. that went on trial for beating Rodney King in um, – they went on trial in, uh, th this happened in 91, actually. Um, the rise was 92. But they were all found not guilty. Right. So that means you can't prosecute them again. No, you can't prosecute them again on a not guilty. Uh, well, they, they went to trial. But, yeah, they went to trial, yeah, was yeah. found not guilty. So once you go to trial and you found not guilty, you can't refile on that. But they, they end up going to prison because the feds came. The feds charge them with a different offense. They charge them. Yeah, it's a different offense. Violating the civil rights of Rodney King. Is that what they end up But okay, people were okay. saying, yo, that's double jeopardy. Yeah, Even yeah, though you came yeah. in, the feds came in with a different offense. Right. You know, they found a loophole. And I kind of, I, I mean, I wanted those cops to go to jail, mm -hmm. but I was like, hey, if, if the feds can do this, they can do that to anybody. Oh, no doubt. You could be found not guilty in state court. And think, okay, I'm free, no double jeopardy. The feds can come in and charge you with a slightly different offense. They usually don't for anybody, though. The feds are usually pretty much um, cool with their Fourth or Fifth Amendment rights, though. They really don't um, go that hard on you when 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 it's an issue of uh, you know uh, certain things involved. So, I mean, if they want you, don't don't get me wrong, they coming. But most of the time, they kind of respect those uh, uh, those amendments, man. You know what I mean? When they prosecute in their case because they want 100% of your ass. They don't want to come in there fighting. Yeah. You know? I mean, I felt that uh, those four cops did deserve going to jail for hitting Rodney King 55 times with a man, baton. ridiculous, man. <laughs> um, but the, the jury here in California found them not guilty, and but the feds decided, uh, I think that was under the first George Bush. Um, I, I never even heard of this. Violating the civil rights of a person. Yeah, me neither. Well, that's how the feds yeah. got them. And um, Stacey Coon, I think he got uh, did like three years. You know, remember Coon? Yeah, Stacey Coon. Let me see if I can remember the name. Yeah, Stacey yeah, Coon, uh, Theodore Brisano, Timothy man. Wynn, and Timothy who was the fourth Wynn. one? Yeah, I couldn't even tell you. Yeah, so I can only remember three yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll find out if there's going to be this double jeopardy issue with Jesse Schmuley. Uh, I think he should just sit down and do his 150 days and end this thing, right? Man, he wasn't <laughs> even going to do 150, man. Nah. You know what I mean? They talking about leaving right now on the internet. They saying, well, in the news they're saying that the internet is on his head so much that they don't feel like he can make it in jail. What the hell the internet got to do with in jail? People out here scroll, you know, using their thumbs to type whatever they want to type. They not in jail with you. Plus, you're not finna do you. They're going to have you somewhere by yourself half the time. 
You know, I think one of the reasons they may have let him out, um, because they don't want to babysit him. You know what I mean? They was like, this dude is taking up too much uh, resources to have to have him in his own cell or in his, you know, we talking county jail. They don't do that shit. They, they throwing you in there. So I think they might have said, you know, hey, you know, it's, it's taking up too much resources to even have this dude here. Let him go fight his appeal on the street. And like I said, I don't think he's going to ever go back and do the rest of them days. Yeah, well, uh, well, we'll keep everybody up to date on Juicy. And uh, we'll just wrap that up right here, F. Uh, episode, what was this, episode six? Yeah. Streets and Scholars. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, holla at FG at um, FG Unleashed for your YouTube. No doubt. And your Instagram. Uh, F General one on Instagram. Y'all hit me up. And you can hit me up at Alex Alonso 101 Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And then uh, hit me up on the Street TV. I got some new, some new uh, interviews dropping. In fact, I got... Um, I got Gangster from Santana Block dropping. I got a retired Compton police officer, uh, John Rick Baker, dropping. And I also have a youngster from Fruit Town Pyru, Jay Stone, who some of you guys may have seen a couple years ago. I got him back. And um, that wraps up Streets and Scholars. (laughs) 